Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and we continue with our birth stories for the summer series. Today's story comes from Candace Hodges, who for weeks had to navigate scare tactics, conflicting advice from care providers, and modified bed rest, not to mention the logistics of a long induction in order to embrace the chaos and have a birth that resembled what she wanted. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guide meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive pregnant or new moms. Reduce your stress, reduce your complications, and improve your connection to your baby and partner. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com birthful. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Megan Othling, a birth doula in Albuquerque who is all about offering women the information and support they need to make their own empowered birth choices. Learn more at womanofvalorbirth.com. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Mamas and Mamas-to-be and Mighty Dads and Dads-to-be. As always, thanks so much for listening and all the love you give the show. Here's a quick reminder that if you like what you hear, then please consider subscribing and leaving a rating on or a review on iTunes because it really does help. Also, I am super curious to hear what your favorite episode has been so far. So why don't you let me know by sending a message through the website, birthful.com, or by commenting on my Instagram or Facebook posts. And those are at Birthful. I really look forward to reading all about it. All right. My guest today is Candace Hodges, who is here to shed light on the induction process by sharing her story. Welcome, Candace. I am so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I, actually, I have to tell the listeners that you wrote in volunteering to tell your birth story a year ago when I was doing the, the summer birth stories last year. And um, and it was towards the end, so I already had all the birth stories taken care of. But thank you for your patience for waiting. Of course, a- yeah, <laughs> a whole year to tell your story. So, tell us a bit about you. Um, so I actually I live in the UK right now. Um, so that plays a little bit into my birth story, um, and it's kind of a I guess an interesting part of it. Um, but I now have an 11 month old little ginger baby. Um, and she's fun and happy and smiley and, um, just a total blast to be around. So, oh, yay. Um, and when you wrote, you were telling me that you had gone from a very healthy, active pregnancy to a high risk pregnancy. So I'm curious to know, like, you know, what originally, what were your birth wishes? What did you want for your birth? Um, so I, you know, in the past, I thought a little bit about a home birth, but, because of my insurance and things, I, I couldn't really do that, um, which was fine with me. I was going to make the most of it either way. I just wanted as few interventions as possible. Um, I w- was willing to be 42 weeks pregnant or whatever it took. I didn't want to be induced. I wanted um, to just kind of let it happen naturally and really experience it because I think that was like it's an experience. You can't get that from anything else. Um, so mostly that was just I just wanted hands off and I did a ton of reading and a ton of listening to podcasts, especially your podcast. And then I would go and like look at stuff from the show notes or whatever. Um, 
I like scoured evidence-based birth and like <laughs> read all the handouts and things like that. Um, I'm a little bit of a science nerd, so I really, I enjoyed that. And I think it like made me feel better. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's <laughs> to, like, a great site for, for, yeah, to get serious facts on, on birth interventions. It's amazing. And I even would like ask the providers like, hey, why, why do you want to do this? And can you show me like the science behind it? Not that I necessarily was going to say no. I just wanted to know what they were thinking. Um, and I, that just that nerdiness just kind of made me more at ease. So um, that's what I had to do to kind of come to terms with some of the interventions that were happening around me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so what were the, like what were those interventions? What happened to turn your pregnancy into a high risk pregnancy? Um, well, I was super healthy, active. I was competitively Olympic weightlifting and doing CrossFit and, you know, working out like two hours a day because that's my only hobby. Um, and so I just, everyone had told me like, oh, you're going to have like a three hour labor and it's going to be so easy and you're going to bounce right back. (laughs) And looking back now, I'm like, that was so detrimental because that's not reality for most people, (laughs) Um, no matter how healthy you are. And I had a really easy pregnancy in the fact that like, you know, I had heartburn and a little bit of back pain and I liked naps, but those are my only complaints, you know, and I think being healthy really contributed to that. Um, but the whole time they kept telling me the baby's really small. She's like in the sixth percentile. And I was just like, uh, I'm five two and I weigh like 125 pounds or 130 pounds. When I started this, like I'm a little person. Um, my husband's not huge. Like it would be surprising if I was having a 12 pound baby, you know? Mm. Um, so, and I just kind of brushed it off. It's like, okay, we're having a peanut, no big deal. Um, but around 36 or 37 weeks, they started saying, well, like the baby's too small. Like, you know, we're worried about the baby. Um, so they diagnosed me with like IUGR, intrauterine growth restriction. Right. And, and like, and then of course I start reading about it and all the risks are just awful and like terrible. And so I finally like, they kind of wouldn't tell me what was wrong with having a small baby. So I had to ask, I was like, is this, you know, are we talking about a stillbirth here? And they're like, yes, like that's a possibility for you. And I'm like, that's not what you need to hear. Like, you shouldn't have to, it shouldn't be like part of the conversation. I shouldn't really have to like drag that out of someone either, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so of course now I'm terrified. Um, so, and I think at that point they had measured her at like the second percentile of growth. Um, so really small. Um, so they wanted to do a weekly, I think, or biweekly, uh, non-stress tests. Um, so I went in for my first non-stress test, and they were like, um, this was it, almost 37 weeks, I think. And they are like, your placenta is calcified, and the baby's really small, and we want you to see a specialist. <clears throat> and we may have to induce you. And I'm like, I'm 36 weeks. <laughs> like, what do you mean you're going to induce me? Like, she moves all the time. Her heart rate's perfect. I feel fine. Like, what do you mean you're going to induce me? That's ridiculous. Um, not what I wanted, you know? Um, so I go to the specialist and the specialist is British. So I'm seeing an American doctor. The specialist is British. And, and can I interrupt for a second at this time? Were you in the U S giving birth or in the UK? No. So I'm, I'm actually in the military and I'm stationed in the UK. So U S military stationed in the UK. Okay. Um, 
and that so that's how I got to see like both British and US medicine um so and I would, yeah, the, that had me confused a little bit because you mentioned you wanted a home birth, but it was not because of your insurance. And I'm thinking, but if you're in the UK, don't, isn't that, don't you just yeah. get universal health care? So. Yeah, it's a lot more common here. No, so they basically were like, you're in the military and you're going to have this baby in a hospital. Um, which for my next or third birth, maybe I'll fight that. I don't know, but it just wasn't like I was already stressed out about other things. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to fight that fight. So Right, right. Um, and the hospital here is great and they have like birthing balls and yoga mats and let you move around and they have a pool and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, it's kind of not worth the fight this go round. Um, so yeah, so I go see the British specialist and he's like, there's nothing wrong with you. Your baby's small. You're small. It's not a big deal. Um, and he said, but with IUGR, you know, we usually recommend inducing around like 37 or 38 weeks. Um, or maybe it was 38 and 39 weeks or something. I was like, fine. Well, that gives me two weeks to go into labor. So I'm like walking like every day I'm walking an hour trying to just like walk this baby out of me. Um, and I'm still going in for non-stress tests. And at this point, that first non-stress test, they told me you're not going back to work. Like call your supervisor. You're not going back to work until after you're done with maternity leave. And I was like, I have to go back to work and like, I just have to wrap up some things. Can I like go back to work for an hour? You know, so I had to like ask to go back to work and tell my boss, like, I'm not coming back. And here are the things that need to be taken care of while I'm gone. Um, and they just say, go home and eat and bulk up this baby. Um, so I go in for like weekly non-stress tests. Every time I go into the American doctors, they're like, okay, so next week we induce you. And then I go back to the British doctor every week, too, and he says, okay, so maybe the week after we induce you. Um, and so at some point, he had said, like, between such and such weeks, 38 and 39 weeks or whatever, and at 38 weeks, the American doctor's like, so we're inducing you at 38 weeks. And I was like, he said until 39. He gave a range. Can we just do 39? And they're like, fine. Um, so I get to 39, and they try to induce me, and I just, like, broke – I just – I wasn't dilated at all. I just broke down into tears. Like, please don't take this baby out of me. She's not ready. You know, like, it just, it just, like, broke my heart that, that I was being pushed into this. So I actually had to sign paperwork saying that I understood the risks and write, I understand the risk of a stillbirth on this paperwork and, like, that I was accepting that risk. Um, and I remember in that appointment, I'm looking at my husband and I'm like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe I just need to listen to the doctors. And I just like burst into tears and he's like, can you just give her a minute? And like, he made them leave and I'm like, what should I do? And he's like, you just need to do what you think is right. You know? Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to do it. He's like, well then don't do it. Um, and he's like, but stop looking at me. Like you need to tell them that you don't want to do this. I'm not going to tell them for you. And usually he's the one, like, he is just so frank and like blunt <laughs> and almost like scary when he says no. Mm -hmm. And so I would look at him like, Hey, can you please tell them I don't want to do this? Um, and he was like, you need to tell them, I'm not going to tell them for you. And that was the most empowering thing. Like I really just, that was the best thing he could have done as my husband and my best friend and my birth partner. Um, and the doctors came back and I said, I'm not doing it. Like whatever paperwork on my side is fine. I just know, like my intuition tells me she's just not ready. I'm not doing this. Um, so I left, I had my appointment with the British specialist again, and he did something so sneaky for a doctor, um, that totally covered his butt, but let me have a lot of wiggle room. He wrote on the paperwork that like, she was in whatever percentile, the baby was healthy, 
and he wrote, um, I understand that Candace is scheduled for an induction next week, period. Which means he didn't make a recommendation, which means they didn't have to follow it. Um, so it kind of like almost took him out of the picture, which, you know, it would have been nicer if he said, let her go to full term or let her go until she goes in naturally. But he just said, I understand she's scheduled for an induction, which took away the liability for him, but gave me a lot of wiggle room to argue. And I didn't realize he had written that until I left. I knew that would be the last time really that I saw him. And I just kind of like secretly like, you know, a nod in a week, like, thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you for giving me that wiggle room for not like painting me into a corner. Um, so I went back, I guess now we're at like 39 weeks. And I finally talked to an American doctor who said, this is your choice. And it was the first time anyone had said that to me before it was like, okay, so we'll induce you next week. And like, just kind of nodding. And there was never a consent. There was never an informed consent. It was just like, this is what we're going to do. Um, and she was like, look, it's your choice. If you don't want to be induced today, we won't induce you today. And I was like, I don't want to be induced today. <laughs> um, so she's like, fine. She's like, next week, you're 40 weeks. He said, honestly, just given my guidelines and the litigious nature of our medical system, I, I really can't advocate that you go past 40 weeks. And I said, you know what, if you'll give me the 40 weeks, if I'm not into labor naturally, you know, I'll finally after weeks and weeks of being you know, asked to be induced, I'll, I'll do it. I'll give in. Um, and how stressful it, those like four weeks of back and yeah. forth and yeah. Yeah. So thankfully I'm on, I was on modified bed rest. I was allowed to leave the house for like two hours a day. Um, so thankfully I'm at home doing this and I'm not like trying to go to work full time. Um, and I'm just, my husband wasn't working at the time. And so like, I was just at home hanging out with my best friend eating as much like cereal and peanut butter as I wanted, um, and taking three hour naps every day. And I think that helped a lot to counteract the stress, but yeah, there are definitely nights where I would like lay in bed worried or I would, she was super active. So if she didn't move for like 10 minutes. I'd be like, I need cold water and sugar. And I would like lay on my side and, you know, trying to make her move. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it was really, and at one point, I think in my six week postpartum appointment, the nurse practitioner asked my husband, like, how do you think things went? And he goes, I think it's completely unacceptable that you scared the crap out of her and stressed her out the last three weeks for pregnancy. <laughs> and my husband's a really super nice guy. He's really fun and cool. But when he has something to stand up for, he doesn't hold back. Like He has no filter, like no social stigma. It just doesn't register for him and that's how he felt he was like I think it's really awful that you did that to her <laughs> and you know I kind of appreciated that he kind of stuck up for me you know and I, I know it wasn't like it wasn't malicious they were protecting themselves and following their guidelines and I'm a medical provider myself and so I understand that I get it I totally get it from their perspective but it was awful to go through <laughs> you know and I totally appreciate your husband's point of view of saying that because I think that even though we understand it, even though we know what it is, even though they were measuring and baby was measuring small, like they're following their protocols and doing all of that. I think mm -hmm. people also need to understand that, you know, pregnant women are in a very vulnerable state. And that, that's not just like, oh, let's protect pregnant women. No, it's it's documented that your brain is working differently. And so you're more impressionable. 
And also, we're talking about the life of your child. If somebody yeah. is more, like nobody's more invested into things going right than you are. For exactly. your child. So I think it is important that, you know, that more people stand up like your husband and said, like, great, but that's that was not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the nurse practitioner is this like really bubbly, fun lady. Like the whole time I was pregnant and seeing her, I kept thinking, when I'm not pregnant, like we should go out and get cocktails because this lady's really cool. And like she just didn't know what to say. She's so positive and that was such a like a harsh statement. She was like, Okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, oh, I guess no one had confronted her ever like that. But um, so anyways, I appreciated that. Um, so finally, this doctor kind of this American doctor finally says it's your choice. And I finally, you know, she said, I, I couldn't convince the high risk board to let you go further without really you signing more paperwork. And I was like, fine, we'll do it at 40 weeks. We'll do it. So I'm like praying and walking and trying to get this baby out of me. Um so I go in on at 40 weeks, I think it was like a day or two before I turned 40 weeks. Um, and I got a Foley bulb, which uh-huh. I didn't know what was what that was at the time. Um, but I learned very quickly. So so let's explain like, it. So it's basically almost like a catheter, like a angioplasty balloon that they would use in a heart valve, but it's just like a flat sack and they insert it until it's above the cervix and then they um, pump air into it. And then there's like a tail that hangs out of it and you have this medical grade garter that's real sexy and you like tape that to your leg and then they send you home. And she said, every time you go pee, just kind of tug on it a little. Um, And she said, at some point it might come out. If it does, just throw it away. If not, we'll take it out for you in the morning. Um, And that was, mine didn't come out until like the next morning I got there and there I was like, can you please take this out of me? And I had to go pee real quick and it came out. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. <laughs> like, was, you know, couldn't have done that like an hour ago. And that's um, really so- interesting because I've never heard anybody have a fully inserted and then go home. Like usually it's more, you're coming in for an induction. You're come, you're here. We're not letting you out of our sight kind of thing. And then we'll do the Foley, but you're in the hospital and we'll just do this here. And the Foley is just trying to get you. You have, I mean, in order to be able to insert the Foley, you have to be at least fingertip dilated. There has to be some space. And it kind of pushes manual, you know, pressure, like physically pushes the cervix trying to get it open to, but the Foley can only go so big. So it's like, I think... Uh, three centimeters is as big as it goes and then it just falls out because now your cervix is bigger than the diameter of the Foley. Right, right. And I don't know if it's because that's so mechanical and not hormonal, but that was almost the most painful or uncomfortable part of the whole labor because there weren't like the happy hormones going. There was no excitement it just like was really uncomfortable. Like I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand. The only thing I could do was like kneel on the couch and like hold myself over the back of the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like to pee, I couldn't really like sit down to pee. So I just like all of a sudden I have to pee and I would like run. Well, as fast as you can run when you're huge pregnant with a volleyball, like run to the bathtub and stand in the bathtub. So it's just like really, it's just cumbersome and you can't move and just like, it's just back labor. And there's no fun hormones going on. So, and then you've got this nasty thing, like tube hanging out of you and a garter taping it to your leg. So right. just, all around, it's just like, who thought of this? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I have heard that quite a bit, that it is 
very uncomfortable to you know and painful and, and and at different stages like for some people it's uncomfortable having it in for some people it's when they put it in for some people it's when they take it out um but yeah yeah that whole eight hours was and then on well on top of that so it's eight hours they put that in at like i think they i think that appointment was like at nine o'clock at night and then you go home you don't sleep because you're uncomfortable and it's gross and then I went in, I got there at six o'clock the next morning and had an IV probably by seven. So now I have this IV of Pitocin. I'm like, I know it's going to be a long haul and I haven't slept. Um, so I tried to sleep a little in the hospital bed with an IV, but um, they actually missed my IV and infiltrated my arm. So and I knew it wasn't right because like my arm was swollen and white and my hands were going numb and I have carpal tunnel syndrome so like my hands go numb all the time so I thought maybe it was just that so I'm walking around throughout the day with this IV in, and I have to like put my hand on top of the IV pole so my hand is up because my hand is going so numb and I was like is it is this okay and they're like yeah I think it's fine um but so then you're not really like the pitocin's not going into your no. system either no it's not so all day I have this IV in and they're like, yeah, we see the contractions on the monitor. So huh. I have a wireless monitor. Um, but every time it, like, moves half an inch, they freak out and run and move it. So um, that is wireless monitor on. I'm walking the hallways, trying to sleep, do whatever. And I'm like, I don't feel anything. Um, so finally, I guess by, like, 8 p.m. that night, they're like, well, I guess it's not going to work. <laughs> and I'm like, guess not. Um, and I, well, actually, I'll back up a little bit. Sometime that evening, I had called my doula. Um, and I was just like, I'm kind of like, I've been really happy and excited and patient all day, but I'm kind of not patient anymore. And I'm just like, I kind of just need to chat. Like I just need someone. And my husband's exhausted at this point too. He's sleeping on an awful bed. He didn't sleep the night before either. Like he's tired. Um, so she came and just hung out with me for a little bit. Um, and finally about 8 PM, they're like, it's not going to work. Let's take, or let's, um, you know, take a pit break. You can sleep. We'll give you, I forget the name of the medicine, Cervidil? Cervidil. Cervidil. So they gave me a vaginal Cervidil and then woke me up like four hours later in the middle of the night to give me oral. Um, and before all this, when they said they were going to give me a pit break, I was like, one, can I eat? And two, can you change this IV? And they're like, well, are you sure you want to be stuck again? And I'm like, yes, like, please stick me again because this is not right. Like I know this Pitocin is not right. Like I know this IV is not right. So they put it in the other arm and instantly I was like, oh my goodness, this feels so much better. Well, and that's <laughs> like what I was going to say that I'm surprised that you lasted that long because that when, when they miss a vein and your arm's getting swollen and infiltrated, that hurts. It does. And I don't think it was a complete infiltration because like, I mean, obviously there's pit all day and like two bags of saline. Um, but I think maybe she might have like missed and then pulled back out. So she's in the vein, but it was just like leaking. Hmm. I don't know how scientific that is. Um, but something there was definitely was something not right. Yeah. 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 So now I've got this IV and it's much better. I'm kind of half sleeping. I think they're taking my vitals still every hour, like waking me up, take my vitals and give me medication. And I'm like, could y'all please just leave me alone? Um, so the next morning at six, they go ahead and attach the pit to that new IV again. And I'm still at this point, I'm still happy and excited and I'm okay. Um, 
And about 2 p.m., or a little before I start having contractions, about 2 p.m., I was like, okay, at this point, like, I'm uncomfortable. I have to stop and squat when I'm having a contraction, and I just kind of want my doula here. Um, so I called my doula, and she came. I think she got there around 3. Um, she, my doula, by the way, was like 24 weeks pregnant with her third Um she is a champion. Like she is one heck of a woman because she got there at like three and massaged my back until I had that baby at 8am the next day. Like she did not stop. Um, and herself 24 weeks mm-hmm, pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, I, just think she's like, <laughs> I know she's amazing. She is like freaking superwoman. Um, and I think I was her first client. So she'd been to many births because she's from a big family, but I think I was her first client. So it's kind of that's kind of special, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, she was great. So she got there, I guess, around two or three and had me kind of like lean over the bed with one leg on the bed and was like rubbing my back. And then as contractions started getting worse, I wanted to sit on the birthing ball. And I think I wanted to sit on the birthing ball because I had read that it like helps bring the baby down and things like this. And I think I just wanted it to go. Like I was ready to meet this baby. Um, So I kind of styled the birthing ball and she's like rubbing my back from behind and my husband's sitting in a chair in front of the birthing ball so that it won't like slide out from underneath me. Um, But I stayed there a really long time. And every time I had a contraction, I'm like super verbal and I'm just yelling and my husband's sitting in the chair, so I'm, like, yelling in my husband's ear. Poor guy. None of us thought to, like, put the chair against a wall or something. I'm just – he's sitting in the chair to weigh it down, and I'm just yelling in his ear every time I have a contraction. And they're long, too. Like, there's contractions for, like well, – I feel like they're forever long. They're probably, like, a minute. And they, feel- these were – you know, this is still with the Pitocin. This is all pretty mm. much Pitocin-induced contractions without mm-hmm. any pain, which they tend to be stronger, and a little nastier than regular contractions, which is what I've heard. And I did have a I did have a really sweet friend who has four kids tell me like a couple weeks before I was induced, she's like, I've been induced and I've had natural labor. It's no different. Which I don't know if she was lying or if she's just like she's also superwoman. So maybe her labors were just maybe she really did just handle oxytocin really well. Um, but I tried to keep that at the front of my mind, like I can do this. Mm-hmm. It's not different. I'm fine. Um, but they were coming hard and fast. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because we need okay. to take a break. Okay. Um, but we will be right back because obviously we want to know more. Hey, Mighty Ones. It is not uncommon for stress levels to go up while you're pregnant. You may be worried about the health of your baby or maybe you're anxious about the birth or maybe you're wondering how you're going to afford all the extra cost. Or maybe you're just guilt ridden because you're not eating well and exercising and doing all those little things that everyone is telling you to do for the sake of your little peanut. Fortunately, there is one little simple thing you can do that won't take up more than 10 minutes per day and will improve not only how you feel about all these things I mentioned, but also your birth, the health of your baby, and your own immunity. That little thing is meditation, and yup, it can do all this and even help reduce your pain during labor. Don't know where to start? Easy peasy. Check out Expectful, an evidence-based guide meditation app created specifically for new, soon-to-be, or expectant moms. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. And don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. And we're back and we're talking to Candace about her birth story and we're right in the middle of it. And she's, she's 
last last this is the image I have in my mind. Last we spoke, you were on a birthing ball with your doula behind you, rubbing your back, and your husband sitting in a chair in front of you. Um, and contractions are intense, about a minute long, and you are vocalizing strongly in his ear. Yes, and he was a <laughs> champion about it. He didn't complain until later, which I think he has a right to complain about. <laughs> um, so I think at this point, I some, I think I was about six hours in. And remember, people had told me, you're in great shape. You're going to have a three-hour labor. My mom had a three-hour labor. And so I'm like six hours in, and I was like, I think I need to push. Like, I have no idea. So, and I think maybe that was just like baby was moving to a different position, and it felt different. Um, so I asked the nurse to check me and she's like, you're four centimeters still. And that was just devastating. Um, and like that, now I understand why people don't want to be checked, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause that was, oh, that was torn. I was like, well then maybe I can't do it. Like it's been this long and I'm miserable and I thought I was ready to go and I'm definitely not. Um, and I, I don't think then I asked for an epidural. I think a few hours later, I was like, maybe I just need to get an epidural. Like, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe it's a Pitocin making it worse. And my husband, who I'm making him sound like such a harsh person, he's really not, but he's my rock. And he was like, don't do it. He's like, you're going to regret it. You wanted to do this without, and you can't go back. So just tough it out a little bit longer and see how you do. Um, so then I start telling myself, if I get the epidural, I won't be able to push, and then I'll have to have a C-section, which is scare tactic. But it's just what I needed to tell myself to kind of power through, I think. Um, hey, whatever gets you through it. Right. <laughs> it doesn't Scare matter. Myself yeah. Into, yeah. Which I'm glad. I'm glad that he kind of brought me back to reality and said, remember what you wanted. Um, because I, if it were just me in that room, I would have had an epidural, which would have been fine. And I would have had a healthy baby and it would have been beautiful either way. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. But it wasn't my goal. Um so I guess a few hours later, probably we're like 12 hours into labor now. I'm like, okay, I, I want to be checked. Like I think, you know, things are progressing. And the nurse checked me and then they were training a nurse. So I had two people check me, which is just like, that was just so painful. I don't know if it's always that painful, but being checked was like, I would just yell while they were checking me. Um, and they're like, yeah, I think you're progressing. So they call the doctor in. And the doctor's at home. She's on call. They call her in and she checks me and she just like her face. She was so furious. She looks at the nurse and then she looks at me and she goes, you're four centimeters still. And I think she was mad because the two nurses checked me and thought I was like seven and she comes in from home and I'm four, you know? And I don't know if like things had changed or if they were just wrong or what but she was kind of like why did you call me which at the time I didn't quite notice how upset she was my husband pointed out later but I do think that that has a negative effect when the doctor's kind of angry um you know, of, kind of course you know. of course it does all the energies and like even when you're in a not in labor in any place regular place and somebody walks in and is not in a good mood you pick up on that right yeah right. and I didn't I didn't do it consciously but I do think that yeah, I think I picked up on that a little bit. Um, so again, very disappointed. Um, so I kind of progress. I'm still verbalizing. I think my doula tried to get me to move off the birthing ball. And I did some. I tried all fours and it hurt. And I just kept going back to the birthing ball. So I've been on this birthing ball for like 12 hours at this point. Um, which I think probably was my like 
something I would do differently is I would just move. I would have just anything, anything to not be in the same position. I think that really stalled me. Um, it was a good position, but it just was the same position. Um, and, and Abigail really did try to get me to move. And I was just like, but everything else is uncomfortable. I just want to stay here. Um, so I stay in the birthing ball. And then finally, I guess about 5 a.m. So I guess at this point we're like 15 hours in maybe. Um, I'm finally like, okay, like I really think I'm ready. And they check me and they're like, yeah, you're basically fully dilated. Um, and so I had wanted to use the squat bar. I wanted to squat and like hold the bar on the bed. Um, but because I had used my legs to support myself on the birthing ball, I, c- I couldn't really do it. Like I would just shake because I was so weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So rather than squatting, I would kind of lay on the bed in between contractions. And as soon as I felt a contraction coming, I would like, I don't know if I did it by myself or if someone helped me or what, but I would like sit up and grab the squat bar and kind of like kneel next to it and have that contraction. Um, I guess I did that for another hour or so. Um, and then finally wanted to start pushing and they're like, fine, you can push. And I remember asking, cause I asked my friends, like, how do you know when to push? Like, what does that feel like? They're like, Oh, ring of fire. You'll know. Um, and I wasn't having like ring of fire. I was having like really bad hip flexor burning. And I don't, I think that was just cause I had squatted on that birthing ball for so long, um, that my legs just hurt really bad. Um, so, you know, I kind of get up into that kneeling position and then I would lay back down. Um, and I finally was like, okay, I think, I think I'm actually ready to push this time. And I remember asking the doctor, like, do I have to wait for a contraction to push? <laughs> Cause I just really want to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, just let me do this thing. Let's let me push. <laughs> and I guess if you've ever had a baby, you know, like, I mean, I guess you have to during a contraction, but I didn't know. Um, so, and I do, there was a point at which, like, I knew I was about ready to push, but, like, nothing was really happening, and I just kept saying, I want to meet my baby, like, God, please just make this end, because I'm just tired, and I just want to meet my baby, um, and so I think part of the reason I was saying, like, can I push, and do I have to wait for a contraction is because I just, like, I just was ready to meet this girl, um, so... I'm finally ready to push. I start pushing. And at this point, I'm so exhausted that I think I fell asleep in between contractions. I was on my side. Um, or I was just in a different land. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I was doing. I do remember kind of opening my eyes right before a contraction and everyone was looking at me. And I don't know if it was like in utter fear or if they were all just being really respectful and quiet. And then like I woke up to have a contraction. Um, but I see it as I was laying on my side. I fell asleep in between contractions. I would wake up and one of the nurses would hold my leg and I would push laying on my side. Um, But I pushed for like two hours um, thinking this baby's never going to come. Um, Finally, of course, you know, the head is born and I like, I get, I touch her head and they had a mirror there for me so I could see Um, my husband's at the head of the bed intentionally not looking in the mirror he's like squeebed out like doesn't want to see it (laughs) Um, 
So for all that tough talk, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. He doesn't like gross stuff, and I love it. Um, so he's just like, I didn't need to see that come out of my wife, and whatever, that's fine. <laughs> um, he also speaking of being squeezed out, his one thing I'd ask him like, what do you want out of this birth experience? He's like, I just don't want to hold the baby until they wash it because I think it's dirty. <laughs> And I was like, okay, that of course didn't happen. He held her, but, um, I I was like, okay, well she can have an early bath. I know that's not ideal, but that's fine. (laughs) Um, so I'm pushing and I don't, I know I pushed for two hours. I don't know how many pushes it was before she was fully out. I, I, I know it was several. Um, so I got to kind of touch her head and then, um, she's like, okay, one more push. And like, I was just done. So I was like, this is my last push. Like it's, it's all coming. So I just pushed and out she comes and I like grab her and they help me put her on my chest. And I'm just like, like you can see the picture. I'm just like bawling. Um, and she like does her little breast crawl and latches. And I'm just like, I don't even know what to do with her. You know, I just, I'm so happy. I look at Steve and he didn't want to be like, he's just not an out in front person. He didn't want to like announce the sex because we didn't know he didn't want to come any of that. So I look and I just look at me. I'm like, it's a girl. (laughs) Um, And later he tells me that he like was very close to crying, which will never happen ever again. Um, Maybe our second baby. Um, but he was like just so overwhelmed, I think. Um, so it's cool that I get to see that side of him because I don't think I would ever see that vulnerability in him any other time. Um, and like you know, it's the birth of a child. I don't it, it that it's really hard not to whoever you are. I don't care who you are, not to like really feel emotional when you see your child being born. Right, and he like he never held a baby before her and so I was worried he would be like stone cold with her and like please this girl has her daddy wrapped all around her finger however you say that like he's a teddy bear he is he adores her um and it's really beautiful to see them together um so we have this baby and he just kind of is in awe and of course I wanted to hold her for the first hour and they let me did that and do that and it's one of the good things about this hospital is they really are kind of we'll let you do whatever you want. Um, and then I guess I don't, I didn't push for the placenta. I don't know if they pulled it out. I don't know what happened. Um, but the placenta came out and she was about ready to cut the cord. And I was like, did the cord stop pulsing? And she's like, yeah, and that felt like two seconds. So I don't know. I don't know if it really was two seconds or if she really did let it stop pulsing, but you know, whatever. Um, and as, but as the placenta came out, she said to the other doctor, um, wow, that's a really small placenta, like with this concerned voice. And I was like, it's small. I was like, can I see it? Um, and they put it in a, like a bedpan and showed it to me. And I was like, well, how big is it supposed to be? They're like, most of them fill the bedpan and yours is like a third to the quarter of that size. Um, and you could see the calcifications in which everybody's everybody's placenta calcifies and that's kind of part of how you go into labor but I guess mine had calcified really early and that's part of the reason they were worried so I don't know I think maybe her small placenta you know may have had something to do with her slow growth and you know just small size she was six three six pounds three ounces she wasn't tiny she made it way past the five five they wanted her to be at um she was fine she's perfectly healthy um, but I think maybe that placenta had something to do with why she was so small for that 
you know, third trimester time. Um, and I, like, I listened to that podcast about, um, stress and pregnancy. We moved from the United States to the United Kingdom. Um, my husband couldn't come with me because of a passport issue. So I lived here for three weeks by myself. I bought a car, found a house by myself. Like it was a very stressful, like two months in my pregnancy. And I think that could have definitely had something to do with why the placenta was so small and why she was so small. Um, which is just interesting to think about. I don't, in the long run, it doesn't matter because she's perfect, but. Right. um, And it's impossible to know because there's so um, many factors that can affect it. But it's interesting that you do mention the stress because there is something to that too, right? Well, and also positive stress because, and like I said, I was really healthy until, until 12 weeks, I was front squatting 200 pounds twice a week to maintain my squat. So like I was still working out really hard. Like probably too hard mm-hmm. uh, and while exercise is stress and it's usually good for you I think maybe in that respect I should have just listened to my body and been a little bit slower like I was tired but I would still work out maybe I should have taken a nap instead um like that's well, not I'm glad a... you got to take those naps at the end right. though right. <laughs> yeah. right and that's not an excuse to like eat ice cream your whole pregnancy but I definitely next time around will probably slow down a lot quicker um and I think that would be good for me a baby so um, yeah. so, but that, all of that's really, I read a book called exercising through your pregnancy. It was the first book I read when I got pregnant. Um, and it has some really interesting things about, um, placental blood flow and adaptations. And if you start and stop work, working out in pregnancy and when, how it affects your placenta, um, things like that. Oh, and as I, okay. So another reason why they were so worried about her and her size was the placenta was calcified and the blood flow to the placenta was like really like the pressure was really high. And so they were worried about that pressure and like it affecting her negatively, which I never really understood that, but that's part of the reason they kept wanting to induce was because of that pressure to the placenta. Um, so yeah, there's, all the nerdy stuff at that point. So they let me hold her for an hour. Um, and then the male nurse who I was a little upset that like, as I'm starting to push, like probably halfway through pushing, there's a shift change and two male, a nurse and a tech walked in and I was like, no, 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 that's weird. And then I was like, I'm busy. I don't care. Um, but that male nurse was there after the first hour and took her and weighed her and measured her and then taught me to bread breastfeed. And he was amazing. Like he was great. Um, so my initial kind of like, mm, I don't like this turned out to be really great. Um, and at that point my husband had been up for whatever, two days or something sleeping on an awful bed. And he was like, I'm going to go home and eat and shower and sleep. And I was like, that's a fantastic, like most dads aren't allowed to leave right then. And I was like, please go home and become a human again. And when you come back, like we can, we can share this baby together. Um, and so he went home and when he came back, he brought me food he had eaten and he was like, can, can I hold her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, of course you can hold her. Um, and he just was a natural. He just took right to her and was super comfortable, um, and didn't look at all like he was struggling. Um, he just like, he's just such a good dad. He's a stay at home dad and he's amazing. I think he, of the two of us should definitely be the stay at home parent because he just, is so fun and loving and patient with her and um, just creative. And he's, 
she's so lucky to have her dad at home. So that's really, that's been really fun to see. Yay. And that's fantastic. That's so good. Um, and, you know, this whole story, Candace, does speak to a lot of flexibility because a lot, many things were thrown your way and you had the changes and, and, and having to reassess and read sort of reconfirm what you believed in or not or you know mm -hmm. have to decide over and over again is this the right choice right this minute and is this what we're doing and even you know le obviously leading up to the the birth but then during the birth with with how long it was and the tiredness and the pain and having to find that strength in you over and over again um yeah it speaks to a lot which is what you hugely important during birth to have that flexibility and then even when you're talking about acknowledging and realizing that your husband was exhausted and having him go like yeah go home sleep recharge because we're gonna do this together so mm -hmm. you recharge so that then i can recharge but let's right. not both be depleted um as we start you know bring a newborn home right right Yeah, I do think that that's, I'm a planner and I think motherhood kind of, either you continue to be a planner and go nuts or you just <laughs> embrace the chaos in a little bit. Um, and I think just personally as a person, hum like as a human being, um, that that's really, really been good for me just to kind of be like, well, there are toys on the floor and there's puke on my shirt and it's going to be all right, you know? <laughs> so I think that should be a t-shirt. Embrace the chaos. Just, just embrace the just chaos. Embrace the chaos. It is, things are so much better when you just embrace it. <laughs> What do you think was the most challenging part of all this? Hmm. I think just like the failed expectations. Like when I thought I was ready to push and I was four centimeters, that's when that's when I almost lost it. And I did kind of spiral a little bit. And I'm glad that I had my rock there. And I'm glad that I had my doula there because yeah that was the hardest part like I just almost lost my brain mm -hmm. um, so that was that was rough how about most even, Go ahead. and even the leading up to it like all the high risk stuff I just I took it in stride and I appreciated the British doctor saying you're small she's small it's fine I was I had enough time to kind of recover and process that so even that was kind of easier than that just punch to the ego and the gut and the tiredness saying you're only four centimeters yeah 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 oh no and i i think we need to stress more how much force is needed for a cervix to open like how much force the uterus needs to exert in order to get you dilated and you know that force doesn't happen in early labor so much the early labor kind of does its thing but it's when it starts getting intense that you can kind of go like okay now we're starting to make some progress and there's no way of knowing how quickly that's going to go or how slow it's going to go but it and then you add on the fact that in your case you're not really in labor you're having an induction it isn't until your body kicks in that then you're in labor but before that it's all external yeah. so even though you're at it for 24 hours but it's 24 hours where you've been doing stuff and, and a lot of things going on but there's no labor yet 
So uh, getting checked when you finally, you think like, I've been at this for 24 hours and, uh, you know, they're really intense for the past hour. But then there's that, that force needed has only been going on for that last hour. So it is very common to, to be like, I am, uh, to me, it seems like, yeah, you were four the other way around, right? Like you (laughs) you were four rather than, (laughs) cause, cause I'm listening. I'm going, you, you weren't, you know, it wasn't that intense for that long. So super awesome that you were four. Um, to, and the only reason I'm I'm talking about it and explaining it is because I think we need to normalize that a little bit more. That it, it is very common to get a punch in the gut when when you're checked because it, it, it especially with an induction. Um, yeah. yeah, but I'm glad you stuck with it. I'm gl- I'm sure yeah. you're glad you stuck with it. I am so glad. And you know, like if it hadn't ended up that way, then fine. Like it mm-hmm. would have been fine. Um, but I'm glad that I stuck with it. And honestly, like a lot of people would be like, oh, I had an induced labor and I didn't get an epidural and I didn't leave the hospital feeling that way. I actually left the hospital embarrassed because I was so vocal for so long. And fortunately I was the only woman on the ward. Um, so there was a shift change. I had two shifts, two shifts worth of nurses in my room while I was pushing because I was the only woman there. Um, so, and it's probably a good thing that I wasn't that vocal with other women, like terrified in the hallway um but yeah I left like and now it's not quite that way but I definitely left like embarrassed rather than like oh I did this without an epidural Mm. like I thought I would be so proud um which I think would be kind of wrong um but it's just I was very shocked at my reaction to that um so I think if it had gone a different way it would have been fine because even though it technically went like I technically didn't get an epidural and that's technically my goal. It wasn't flowers and rainbows either. Like it was beautiful and I'm glad that it happened that way, but had it gone differently, I would have felt bad or good about something else, you know, mm-hmm. like it's never going to go perfect. Right. <laughs> you know, well, And, and I do think that birth really brings out birth and motherhood and parenthood brings out like all the warts like you it really brings you face to face with situations that you may have not encountered before and you might be surprised of how you react to it um and it's that giving yourself grace and acceptance to you're doing what needs to be done and it's what's going to get you through like because i can appreciate the 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 suddenly being very vocal and not realizing that that's what you were going to be doing Mm -hmm. and having to process and deal with like all that the layers that we put on top of you you should be if you're you're yelling and if you're loud then you're out of control and what does that mean and like there's a lot of judgment in that when birth is wild you (laughs) you yell your heart out (laughs) but yeah which is great, but but if you're not like in that frame of my mind, and I know I was super loud too, and I was not in that frame of my mind, so I can I I can empathize very much with your position that I was like I can't believe this is what we're I'm doing, you know mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm gonna be screaming for ten hours, yeah, because <laughs> yep. this is not what I want to be doing, but this is what I need to be doing, <laughs> right? Exactly, and then we'll figure out later. Yeah, no, um, birth is wild. Birth is wild. Is that on a t-shirt yet? Right? 
Yeah, <laughs> birth is wild, and and it does. We got it's primal. It's wild, so it requires you to go to places where you need to be uninhibited and loud and and primal, or not. Like just like give yourself that space to be whatever kind of animal you're gonna be, because it is. It's all right. It's all right not to be civilized. Yes, ma. What now? I was gonna ask you what you would do differently. You did mention a couple of things, like you would move more. Um, next time, are there any other things that you think you would have done differently? Yeah, I've said half jokingly that I'll be forty-five weeks pregnant before I have another induction. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I at the time, you know, I just felt it was right, and I felt like I needed to give in, and that's fine. Um, but I think next time going in if at 37 weeks they're like you're she's small it's iugr i'm gonna be like that's fine we're not playing this game we can talk at 40 weeks um so i definitely i think i would have held out a little bit longer um and then we've talked a little bit about how we you know you talk about these hormones and you have all of these happy hormones that are causing pain but it's moving you somewhere Whereas my husband was in the room and he just w was miserable for me and he feels like his stress hormones kind of played off of mine, mm. um, which is, or like kind of played into mine, which is kind of interesting. Um, and he's my, you know, he's my rock. Like I said, I, like, I don't think I could do it without him, but he said maybe next time I should be really close, but not in the room because I think that I inhibited you. Um, so that's something we'll kind of talk about next time and I don't know how I feel about that but that might be a big change for the next go round mm. um and it because, might, it, go ahead I mean he's he says you know in the last 10 years is when men were invited to, to the birthing room before that or 20 years you know before that no men were ever in the birthing room so it doesn't really you know it makes sense that maybe that's not where he belongs um so I don't know it's just interesting to, yeah. to think about that I can respect that and I can respect the the different positions and, and frankly at the end of the day it's like you do you like it's got to be what works for both of you um, right if you read Michelle Adant he's the biggest proponent of like men should not be in in the birthing room and at, at the same time you know he's like a fantastic uh, OB researcher he was one of the first that ever put in writing that you know, it's you shouldn't separate mom and dads. Uh, sorry, mom and babies and and breast babies should breastfeed right away. Like, not take babies away to the nursery. He was the one of the first ones who ever wrote that. Yay so he, <laughs> yeah, no, he's a like if you can read stuff of, and you being so brainy would really love Michelle Adant because he is about the research and all about how oxytocin and hormones, how not just in birth, but what like that what that is doing to us as a species in terms of our empathy in terms of our relating to each other because it is the hormone of of bonding and what does all this pitocin that we're adding this you know artificial oxytocin that we're adding to our births how is that affecting us as a human race like he's got really interesting ideas um and and also does a bunch of data and information he has. Uh, I'll link to his on the show notes because I can't remember exactly uh, what the name of the website is. But if you Google Michelle and it's M-I-C-H-E-L-O-D-E-N-T. He's French. So Michelle Adant. Um That name sounds familiar, but I can't remember why. So I will definitely look him up because 
I love numbers and science. <laughs> Womacology. That's it. Womacology.comware.org. Oh, that's awesome. Is the website. And what he's done is it's like a repository database that and uh, well, so that's his main website. And he has another one, which is called prenatal something or, or it's a it's a depository for all sorts of research and information on the on that first um re, what am I trying to say here? Uh, of the the first the the experiences of the baby and baby health, but during that like birth and and right after postpartum, and because it, pretty much for many years research has been done all over the place, but there wasn't one place where it all came together. And then you can just go to the repository there and. Ma mix and match compare like relate all these research together right um and for researchers themselves to know that other per other people are doing some things similar to them and collaborate so he's created that specifically to that um perinatal research and uh it's yeah <laughs> i just went on that a Michelle that tangent. sounds like <laughs> that sounds like the way that things change in medicine though like that's what medicine needs is real hard evidence and facts because even some of the things they recommend like heart rate shouldn't get over 140 while you're pregnant that was an arbitrary number chosen in the 80s for the average woman mm -hmm. like yeah for exercising mean, right yeah yeah that doesn't yeah. mean anything and so I think a huge depository of research could be really really powerful in the medical community because doctors want you know it as a provider you want hard proof because you want hard science because it's on you if it doesn't work um, so that's really that's really cool and exciting yeah yeah he's got some really interesting things and and he's very much about the need for you to trigger your primal brain during pregnancy and, and to, during labor and not be observed and you know have like a quiet environment and and dark and very very primal right so he's he's even like not so much into doulas because he says moms don't need support you just need to witness, but they're the they don't need they're doing the things. It's all about you doing the work. So, um, he he is really. I'm I'm kind of painting him in a bad light. He's not. He's fantastic. Like no dads in the room. No, no, no. no. That sounds he's, awesome. Yeah, he's all about promoting physiology. Um, so, so yeah. In terms of that, might be an interesting read for you guys if your husband's thinking that maybe his place is not in the birthing room. Yeah. Cool. It'll be a long discussion, but I, yeah, I think that'll be, it'll be really interesting. Yeah. So. And, and hopefully next time it'll be like an induction won't be an issue. So you'll have your right. own happy hormones that feed to him differently. Right. That, and that's, I hadn't thought about that. That may be different. Like I may affect him differently. Mm -hmm. so. Right. Yeah. And because we mentioned it a couple of times, I'm going to like do a little like wrap up of what the difference is between oxytocin, your own oxytocin and pitocin or syntocinone, how they work differently. And basically Great. it's um, so, yeah, they're both hormones, but your own oxytocin also works as a neurotransmitter and it crosses the blood brain barrier and it tells your brain, hey, we're contracting, send endorphins. And so your body goes, okay, here's your endorphins. And contractions feel more like a wave or a mountain, like it goes up and down. Whereas the general, you know, feeling of just Pitocin or Syntocin on um, contractions is more like, boom, it hits you like a wall and it's over. 
Um, and I don't know if you had that experience. Like that tends to be how because you're you're not getting those endorphins from your brain, so you're it's not like taking the edge off the contraction. You just get full on, full off, very harsh kind of sudden. Um, yeah. Effect the contractions. There's no ramp up, um, and not only does it not do that, but then it it also blocks the transmitters. So when your brain kind of goes like, "Hey, I think you're contracting. Do you want some endorphins so I can help you out?" You're like, "No, we're good. We're good. It's all good. We're just yeah, it's all good." So it blocks the receptors. So um, yeah, that's like neurologically, people can say whoever says, "Oh yeah, pitocin is the same as oxytocin." Well, it's not. <laughs> no. Yeah. Unfortunately, it would be great for many reasons, but it's not. But I think knowing that it's not going to be then, you know, gives you more realistic expectations. True. Yes. Yeah. So there's my little geek out for the today. I am done. <laughs> I can now continue. <laughs> I appreciate the geek moment. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so do you have, you mentioned the book that you read. Do you have any other resources that you would recommend to moms or dads? Um, definitely for the Birthful podcast. That's where I started. Um, for me, it was a really great jumping off point. And then it, I just kept listening because it was just interesting. Um, I read Origins before I got pregnant, like mm. long before I got pregnant. That book was really interesting. I read Ina Gadskin. I read Happiest Baby on the Block. I read Baby Wise. I, I read a ton. I read Hypnobirthing, but I just did the book. I didn't realize there was like a workbook you could do with it. Um, so I just read the book. Um, yeah, I just, Evidence-Based Birth was really good. I'll tell you how I, I found your podcast because I was reading the, like I didn't want to tear and I found one of your podcasts about tearing or massage or something. Mm, protecting your perineum with yes. a natural read. Yes. Yes. And that thought of like doing a perineum massage just like made me so uncomfortable. And then I listened to that podcast and I was like, I don't have to do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I think the podcast is a great way to start. It's super informative and then gives you a lot of places to go from there. So dig deep afterwards. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so, so much, Candice, for being here today and sharing your story. This has been really fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's so therapeutic to, to verbalize that, and I'm so excited to be talking to you. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts, and if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful, so come say hi. And if you're pregnant, do not forget to check out my Thrive with Your Newborn postpartum preparation classes at birthfulcourses.com. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, Megan Offling and the Expectful app. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another Mighty Mama about her birth story or stories here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Listening.